Welcome to the Criswell College Chapel Podcast. Throughout each semester, the entire campus gathers for worship through song and a biblical, challenging, and encouraging message. Speakers include pastors, professors, and local business and nonprofit leaders. At Criswell, we believe spiritual life is vital for everyone, and that is why Criswell's goal in chapel services is to emphasize loving the Lord with all our heart, all our mind, and all our strength. We cultivate leaders who are ambassadors, cultivators, peacemakers, problem solvers, and professionals. While chapel services are tailored to students, we're encouraged by all our guest speakers by knowing that the practicality of what is being spoken is for everyone. To learn more about Criswell College, visit criswell.edu. Thank you for joining us. Today, we'll be hearing from Dr. Ty Kieser. Dr. Ty Kieser is the Assistant Professor of Theology and Program Director of the MA in Theological Studies at Criswell College. Dr. Kieser earned his PhD in Biblical and Theological Studies from Wheaton College in 2020. Prior to that, he earned an MDiv and an MA in Systematic Theology from Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. He has served as Guest Assistant Professor at Wheaton College since 2020. Dr. Kieser has already published and presented extensively within his areas of research, Christology, Trinitarian Theology, Post-Reformation Theology, and Theology of the Atonement. Without further ado, Dr. Ty Kieser. Lord, you are high above all nations, and your glory is above the heavens. Who is like you, O Lord our God, who is seated on high, who looks down on the heavens and the earth? For you raise the poor up from the dust, and you lift the needy up from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, with the princes of your people. Amen. Today's message comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Please turn there with me. Going to start here in verse 7. So to keep me from being conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations. And earlier in chapter 12, Paul is rehearsing some visions and revelations that he's experiencing, some fairly radical experiences that he has. But to keep him from being conceited, a thorn was given me in the flesh, he says, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I, Paul, will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. The invitation of this text, the invitation of today, is the invitation to boast in weakness. And if you're anything like me, that sounds a little scary, and you would like to isolate that to a particular point in life, like when I have a thorn in the flesh. And I don't feel like I have a thorn in the flesh right now, so this is unapplicable. However, I think rather than a point in life or an uh, item on the to-do list, Paul is here calling us to a consistent posture in life that we approach all things. And I think this is true in part because of the things that he lists here in this chapter, but also in part because of the consistent paradoxical nature of the Christian life as rehearsed, as testified to in Scripture. 
So we see this paradox, and paradox is something that seems absurd or seems contradictory, but is in reality true. So uh, Taylor Swift says, I'm standing alone in a crowded room. Paradox. Uh, Doc Hudson tells Lightning McQueen, you have to turn left to go right. It's a paradox. I think scripture has this paradox, and, and Paul draws this out in multiple places in his Corinthian correspondence. In chapter 1, he says, comfort, that comes through affliction. He says, life, oh yeah, that comes through dying. He says, riches, that comes through poverty. Paul concludes in the last chapter, 2 Corinthians 13, for he, Jesus, was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. For we are weak in him, but in dealing with you, we live with him by the power of God. Christ was crucified in weakness, but lives in power. We are weak, but live with the power of God. In 1 Corinthians, we go back a little bit. Paul says, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. He chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. It's a paradox. We could go even further back. Okay, let's go all the way back to Genesis 2. The creation of the world and the pinnacle of creation, human beings, are made from dirt. One theologian says that we're literally dirtbags, <laughs> but we're kissed by heaven. It's a paradox. One other theologian says that we're beloved dust. And as we move through the story of Genesis, we see God using this paradoxical uh, choice of younger sons. So we have uh, Abel, not Cain. We have Isaac, not Ishmael. We have Jacob, not Esau. Moving into Exodus, we have a younger son, Moses, chosen, and he's baffled. The dude's like, Lord, you got things all wrong here. Something's wrong. Okay, and we keep moving down the, the story of Scripture. We come to Judges, and we see Gideon, who is least in his father's house and the weakest clan in Manasseh. But he's called the mighty man of valor, who is, by the way, fairly cowardly. In Ruth, there's a poor, husbandless foreigner that becomes the great-grandmother of King David. Oh, and King David, he wasn't even invited to his own ordination ceremony. We see in uh, 1 Kings, Elijah, who's this despised prophet conquering the prophets of Baal by dumping water on an altar. The, the paradox of strength, of God's strength, specifically through weakness, persists throughout Scripture. And towards the end of the Old Testament, we see in Micah the paradox of this backwoods town called Bethlehem being the promised hometown of the Messiah. Life with God is paradoxically one of weakness. So I want to ask a few questions for us and with us today. What does it mean to boast in weakness? Why should we boast in weakness? And if we do boast in weakness, where does it lead us to? So those are our three questions. What does it mean? What does it mean to boast? That's kind of a, a weird word. We don't really use it unless we mean something like brag, but Paul uses it frequently and, and uses it positively and negatively. And so I think boast carries a couple connotations. One is a kind of embrace, so it's, it's to embrace something and to present it to others. So I think when we wear logos on our clothes, that's a kind of boast. You're embracing something, and you're presenting it to others. So I have a student who conveniently wears Cowboys gear after the Cowboys win. 
And, and this student, who will remain nameless, uh, is boasting in the Cowboys. He's saying, hey, I'm embracing the Cowboys' identity. I'm, I'm, I'm with them. And presenting it to others. This is a boast. What does it mean then to boast in weakness? Well, Paul lists several things that are weaknesses here in 2 Corinthians. He says, by your perception, Corinthians, especially in contrast with uh, the super apostles, who are his kind of opponents here, these, these super apostles seem to be impressive, and Paul seems to be less impressive. And he, he gives several examples. He says, uh, my speech you don't think is that impressive. My personality, not that impressive. Status, accomplishments, none of these are that impressive. But if we think long enough, I think we recognize that Paul isn't alone in being perceived as unimpressive according to personality, speech, situations, accomplishments, etc. According to many perspectives, the vast majority of us are unimpressive. So I don't think Paul is uniquely unimpressive. I think Paul is saying something like, I am a vulnerable, limited human being who lives in a world marked by sin and in, in, in myself a sinner. In theological terms, we would say, Paul is saying, embrace finitude in a fallen world. You, you like Paul, are limited. You, like Paul, are finite. And this is an opportunity to boast in weakness, to boast in these limitations, to boast in these vulnerabilities, not shy away from them. And one way to figure out what boasting and weakness means is to ask what it's not. Obviously, it's not boasting in sin. So uh, none of the things that Paul lists here are sinful. Paul is definitively not saying, as AJR says, but I'm weak. And what's wrong with that? Boy, oh boy, I love it when I fall for that. He's not saying that. That's wrong. He's also not saying, we, we could say this side over here. He's not saying that we should boast in strength. To boast in strength is to embrace that which is impressive, or that which is at least perceived to be impressive. And the Lord has convicted me about this uh, frequently, multiple times. One frequent, multiple-time example would be the way in which people will be talking, will be having a conversation, and they'll say like, oh, hey, I was listening to this country song, and I will just about interrupt them. And rather than ask a question, I will make it about me. I'll say, oh, I was listening to a country song too. <laughs> and don't you want to know about my thing? Because I'm impressive, right? Right? And so I immediately take the conversation and focus it on myself. I'm embracing not weakness there. I'm embracing a kind of uh, control and a kind of uh, status that brings an impressive uh, impression. Another thing that the super apostles were doing previous uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 is they were comparing themselves to one another. And when we compare ourselves to one another, we get pretty good at boasting in strength. And Paul, I think, is calling us here to not compare ourselves to one another. Because if you compare yourself to the right person, you can boast in strength, right? Like, at least I'm not like this guy. But if we compare ourselves to the infinite God, who is infinitely gracious and infinitely powerful, what happens to boasting? And I don't think, I think if we, when we look at this text here, we recognize 
that Paul is saying, uh, look here in verse 9, that he will boast all the more gladly of his weaknesses. More gladly, more gladly boast in weakness than what? More, more gladly boast in weakness than strength. Paul isn't saying, I don't, I could play the comparison game. This is literally what all of chapter 11 is about. I could play the comparison game if I wanted to, but that's the wrong game to play. I would rather boast in weakness than boast in strength, even, even when it's valid, even when it's true that I can boast in strength. The other alternative over here is despairing in weakness. So if this is boasting in weakness, this is boasting in strength, we're over here, we're despairing in weakness. To despair in weakness is to say, oh, I'm weak, and to seek to not embrace weakness, not to boast in it, but to hide in it or excuse it. So, for example, uh, and this is in my notes, for example, we experience the discomfort, the hardship of writing a paper that's difficult that makes us uncomfortable, okay? And we do things like check our fancy football uh, team, or which watch Netflix. Why? Because we're avoiding it. And I wrote that. The reason I'm telling you this is in my notes is because I wrote that and thought, man, that's good for my students to hear. They need to hear that. <laughs> and then, not joking, 30 minutes later, I'm writing a hard paper that makes me feel uncomfortable, and I'm checking fantasy football. <laughs> so, just in case you think, oh, Ty thinks he's better than us because he thinks he's good at this, and uh, we're bad at it. No, I think I'm very bad at this. Um, and I do both of these things, right? So uh, one way is we, we uh, seek to hide from it. We hide from weakness. The other thing we do is we excuse weakness. We say, weakness, oh, that's, that's not really me. So when my kids beat me in Mario Kart, I just give an excuse like, oh, it was that darn blue shell, or oh, that last turn on Rainbow Road. It just gets me every time, right? I'm making excuses for my own weakness. Instead, we're called to boast in weakness. What is boasting in weakness? Some examples that I think the Lord has convicted me of are things like resting. If God accomplishes all and can accomplish all, then I get to rest my actions, my accomplishments in Him. Things such as committing to a group is a form of boasting in weakness. Saying, the eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. I can't do it on my own. I'm going to boast in weakness and recognize my need for others. Things like confession. I don't think boasting in weakness excuses sin, but it does recognize sin. It says, that's true. I'm sinful. And I, I don't excuse it. I don't hide from it. And I don't deny it. Instead, I recognize it and boast in my own weakness. Why? Because Jesus' grace is sufficient. So, brings us to the question of why. Why should we boast in weakness? And I think Paul gives us three answers here, looking at verse 9. The first answer is Jesus' claim, my grace is sufficient for you. Jesus' grace is sufficient for you. So, you don't need to be strong. You can embrace and boast in weakness because Jesus is strong. His grace is sufficient. And this position, boasting in strength, denies the need for grace. Oh, I don't need grace. I got it on my own. This position denies the sufficiency of grace. Oh, Jesus don't got enough grace for me, right? Second reason he gives. Jesus says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And this, 
I think, relates back to chapter 11, verse 30, where Paul says, If I must boast, I will boast in the things that show my weakness. So the second reason is that our weaknesses present Christ. In our weakness, the power of God is made manifest. The power of God is demonstrated. Looking again at Gideon. Gideon, who's this, uh, I think cowardly might be too strong, but I'm going to use it. Cowardly dude. Who leads into battle 300 men with trumpets. And wins. Why? Not because they were strong, but because of the power of God. God's power is presented in our weakness. Third reason. Paul says, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so so that the power of Christ might rest upon me. So not only does our weakness present Christ, but it is in our weakness that Christ is present. So the the verb here, rest, the, the power of Christ, rest, some translations have dwell. The power of Christ might dwell upon me. Dwelling here, connoting, bringing to mind, God's dwelling with his people. Where? In the temple. In Jesus. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And for the, the future promise, when God will dwell with his people where we will be his people and God will be our God, Revelation 20. And this paradoxical uh, place of the, the experience of the presence of God in weakness is not just true here, but we also look at Isaiah 57. Thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity and whose name is holy. I dwell in high and holy places. And you're all like, okay, yeah, we know that. God dwells in high and holy places. Okay? And also with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit. Where does God dwell? Where is God present? And notice, uh, we didn't read the whole chapter, my fault, but, but if, if we had read the whole chapter, you would see the experience that Paul, presumably, has at the beginning of chapter 12. Paul's having this radical, ecstatic experience. And in contrast to that radical experience, Paul is saying, where is God present? God's present in weakness. I want to experience the presence of God. It's not through those radical ecstatic experiences. I'm not saying those are bad. But if you want to experience the presence and power of God, it's not by seeking those. It's by seeking to boast in weakness because when we are weak, then we are strong. Uh, Dioscursus writes a letter to Augustine. Augustine is a 4th century theologian. Ask one of my church history students. They should be able to tell you who he is. Uh, And he basically wants instruction on what it means to live the Christian life. Like, what are the steps? Augustine, I want the steps to being a good Christian, to experiencing God. And this is one of the most influential theologians in the history of the church. His answer. First, humility. Second, Humility. Third, humility. And then he says, I could keep going if you, if you need me to. And his point is, to grow in grace, to grow in maturity, is not to exalt yourself but to boast in weakness. To, to 
Embrace weakness because that's where the presence of God dwells. Final question. Where does it lead? Last verse, verse 10. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness. The then there, the then. I'm content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. Gives us five things. He's content. Now, other translations here say something stronger. They say that Paul is well-pleased or delights in or even takes pleasure in weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. W.A. Criswell preached this text multiple times, and multiple times he did so on Thanksgiving. His point? We are thankful, or we are called to be thankful for weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. Why? Because when we are weak, then we are strong. So where does this lead? It leads to a place of, of contentment, a place of, of uh, humility, looking to God. Not on our own, but looking to God. It leads to a Christian life that embraces weakness, a Christian life that embraces paradox. Weakness is the way, and I think weakness is also the way of Criswell College. So we have this graduate profile with five features, five aspects, five roles, and five things that seem difficult here at the end of verse 10. I think they correspond fairly well. So if we want to be ambassadors, people who communicate for the sake of someone else, we can boast in weakness and be content for the sake of Christ with weakness. Because it's not about us. Ambassadors are not delivering a message or representing themselves, but someone else. If we want to be cultivators, we must be content with hardship. You don't cultivate healthy ground. You cultivate hard, rocky ground. If you want to be a peacemaker, we must be content with persecutions. Why? Because the alternative to making peace is to initiate conflict. We must be content with calamities. Why? Because problem solvers recognize calamities, recognize the depth of the problem, not dismissively. They don't deny it. They don't excuse it. But problem solvers recognize the depth of the problem and look to Christ, embracing the power of Christ to seek a solution. Professionals. If we want to be professionals, then we must be content with insults. Why? Because professionals do their job. I'm finite, and I have a finite job, and I'm going to seek to, by the power of God, be faithful to my job. Will people insult you when you do that? Maybe. But you can be content. We can be content in that weakness, in those insults. Why? Because we're boasting in weakness before the power of God. Weakness is the way of the Christian life. Weakness is the way of Criswell College. So as you go, would you boast in weakness? And would you go with this blessing? Uh, Grace to you. And peace from the God who was and is and is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Amen. Dismissed. Thank you once again for listening to the Criswell College Chapel Podcast. Please make sure to visit criswell.edu to learn more about Criswell College. 
We hope that you will join us again soon. God bless you.